Welcome everybody, time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies. Hey everybody, Susan Finch here, your guest host today on Asher Sales Sense, because sometimes I need to listen to the master himself to talk about what's the most current thing. And John Asher is here with me today. He wanted to talk about the most important cognitive biases for salespeople to master. He's going to explain what that means because it truly is those skills you need to have almost like breathing so you can quickly recognize where you need to slip in. So, John, welcome. Let's dive into this topic. <laughs> I like that intro. It's almost as important as breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, Susan, in the last five years, there's been this international consortium of neuroscientists in 70 countries sharing their research, sharing their studies in the cloud. So all of them get to see what everybody else is doing. So you can imagine the uh, the growth of this knowledge is, is really just exponential. And an example would be if you go to Wikipedia and type in cognitive biases, there's 184 of them. So our team were mainly engineers who couldn't do engineering and got into sales, basically. <laughs> So we've analyzed all 184 of them and boiled them down to maybe 15 or 20 of them that apply really directly to sales and have, can have a big impact. And in most cases, they apply to marketing as well. That's a little bit of the background. But let's back up even more. Cognitive biases. Bias. Oh, such a bad word. You know, being biased, being prejudiced, being, you know, leaning towards things. This is how our brain works and makes decisions. Let's not make it the boogeyman. So can you dissect that phrase a little bit for people to catch them up? Absolutely. So our ancestors did not know when they were going to have the next meal. They were mainly carnivores. And they might have a meal mm, once a day, once every other day type of thing. And, and I'm sure you've heard the term feast or famine. So they were either in feast, they'd kill game, and now they're, everybody was just gorging themselves, basically. <laughs> and then maybe for a day or two, there was famine. Now, from a longevity standpoint, knowledge of that is great because they were in famine a lot where the body was strengthening the cells, getting rid of the dead cells, dead proteins, and, and all those types of activities. And the trouble today is everybody almost eats continuously or has the ability to. So the body never gets into that cellular housekeeping. And when we never get it, it has a big effect on our longevity. That's a little bit of the background. Okay. Now, and so the, the our ancestors learned. By the way, they didn't run after game. They walked after game. And the reason is they learned that they have to save energy because they weren't getting enough to eat mainly. And our brains are a very complex organ, 100 billion neurons. Each neuron is connected to 10,000 other neurons by synapses. And each neuron fires an average of once a second. You can imagine that is a lot of activity. And so for the two of us just sitting here on the podcast, 20% of the energy being burned by our body right now being burned by our brain. So these cognitive biases are really shortcuts, rules of thumb, tendencies that allow their ancestors to make quick decisions and save energy. And they're still back there. Either come from the instinctive or reptilian brain or the emotional brain 
And so there's a great book written about this whole subject from Daniel Kahneman and called Thinking Fast and Slow. And the white paper that the book is based on, he got the Nobel Prize for. And he's a psychologist who got the Nobel Prize for economics, which is unheard of, in decision making. Wow. And so the book really is all about thinking fast means your bias tells you what to do right away. Thinking slow means, well, once you get educated on this, you might say to yourself, wait a minute, that's really not the right way to go. I need to think about this harder or do some research or, or those sorts of things. And that comes from the rational brain. So the rational brains are conscious brain, checklists, pros and cons, developing algorithms. And our unconscious brain is the old brain, a combination of instinctive and cognitive, where all of these cognitive biases have been developed. That's a little background. Okay, that helps. Good. That helps. All right, so let's talk about the most important ones for salespeople. Because you guys know this. You already said you have all these engineers that went into sales. So what a wonderful combination to be able to analyze the results of all those tests and things. Well, as you know, good and bad news for engineers. (laughs) All right, first is the compliment bias. We are very positively biased towards people who give us a compliment. Now, if you wonder what counts as a compliment, a great compliment should have four things. Got to be authentic, of course, right? Sound real to the person. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be specific. And it's got to be meaningful to them. So when you're complimenting other people, a lightning bolt goes off in their old brain. And now they're totally attracted to you. So then the practical application for sales would be compliment the buyer early in the conversation. Now, you wouldn't compliment them on their blouse or their shirt, because that's kind of shallow, but do some research. Compliment them on their website or maybe a video you watched on their website or their company reputation, or if you're in person, how you were treated by the receptionist. So that's the compliment bias, a very strong bias. Now, when you apply it to real-world stuff for all of us personally, most of us do not compliment other people anywhere near as much as we could. And so another practical application is compliment everybody in your life on a continuing basis. I give my wife at least six compliments a day, at least, because I understand the power that it gives our relationship. It's one thing to, I did this the other day, and I do this randomly. I call people out of the blue because I think of something that reminded me of them that makes would make them feel good if they knew I was thinking about them because of it. So that's, and I blow people away. My husband just laughs about that, but the unexpected gift is like, Oh, it feels good to lift people up. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a great book written about by the founder of the Gallup organization. And that's the name of the book is how full is your bucket. And so if you're complimenting people, you're filling up their bucket. If you are criticizing people or calling them out in public, you're emptying their bucket. And of course, if you're a leader, you want a whole bunch of people working for you who have full buckets, so to speak. Yep. All right, let's go to the next one, reciprocity bias. So when we give uh, something to another person, their old brain is obliged to reciprocate. And I'm sure your uh, listeners have heard the term much obliged. So does much obliged mean a little bit obliged? No, it's a lot, much obliged. 
And in China, it's so important. There's actually a word for it called renqing. So if you do a favor for somebody in China, they must return the favor, even if it's 20 years later. And if they pass, their family is obliged to return that favor. That's how strong it is. This goes back really to the humans first getting in tribes together and working together and having different jobs and doing things for each other. An example for sales that's kind of obvious would be if you give the buyer the gift of being a total, total perfect listener instead of a passive listener, you give them the gift of really listening to their needs, they'll immediately return that gift by giving you deep insight into what's going on and what their challenges are or aspirations. So then the practical applications for sales are, one, give gifts continuously, your associates, your customers, your family, your prospects. And in every interaction, always give them something. An example would be if you're going to send a prospect an email based on a conversation you had, a follow-up email, include a link to a video that illustrates that skill you were talking about. So nobody in our company is allowed to send an email or an email unless they include a link to one of our videos. Now, there's one other kind of fun history to this. At Navy, I was the fifth-string quarterback behind Roger Selback. I never got in a game. I never even suited up for a game. But I practiced a lot against the sixth string. <laughs> that was back when there was no women there, and so we had to get all this testosterone out. And Roger's a great guy. A lot of people have heard of him. Hall of Fame Dallas quarterback, and now a very successful real estate developer in Dallas. He only has one mantra in his company, and everybody in the company knows it, and they all practice it every day. There are no traffic jams on the extra mile. No traffic jams on the extra mile. Meaning, if you go extra for other people, you totally separate yourself from everybody else. And in many cases, that extra doesn't have to be money or something of value. It can just be time. So that's the background behind the reciprocity bias. Always be giving gifts. Give stuff to other people. I like that one. All right. Let's go to the next one called the similarity bias. Now, this kind of goes back to the um, early humans in Africa, where we all kind of came from, when one homo sapien met another one on the savanna in, in the jungle. They had to make real fast decisions. Is this other one going to kill me or be a friend or maybe be a partner? And if they were very similar, then that looked like it probably would be safe. If a homo sapien met a Neanderthal who looked quite different, that would not look safe. Is a reason that Neanderthals actually never made it as a species. And so, therefore, we like people who are like us in every regard. And, you know, dress, looks, interests, um, same age, same religion, same personality style, sports preferences. You just keep on going down the list. We're totally attracted to other people that are like us. So some of the practical applications would be do great research on people before you interact with them. Find out everything you can about them so you can see what you've got in common that you can use. Go to crystalnodes.com, find out which of the four personality styles they are, 
so that if you're not the same style, you can use NLP to mirror their style. And then you'll see in many companies, say B2B companies, the sales manager will get incoming leads for marketing and give them in turn to the sales force, kind of rotate and give each salesperson their share. Well, the savvy sales managers will look at the background of the prospect and they just might skip two people and give it to Liz because Liz is not only a woman in the prospect, a woman, but she's the same personality style and they're both from the Midwest. Yeah. So those are examples of the similarity bias and how they apply to sales. Now you see it, it today. I'll give you one fun example. At the Naval Academy, I took an elective course called the History of War. Two facts stood out. In the last 3,000 years of recorded history, there's only been 27 years with no war. Mm. Well, look at today. Yeah. You got the, the Libyans fighting each other. You got the Yemenis fighting each other. You got the Ethiopians fighting each other. You got Russia, Ukraine. Yeah. There's essentially always a war going on somewhere. The second fact was 99.9% .9 of those wars are caused by one of three things one ethnic background against another Different. dissimilar mm -hmm. one religion against another right right and be, if you could look at history i mean the pope actually was saying to the catholic armies go kill all those muslims which yeah. is like yikes and yeah. so dissimilar and then the third is a little bit different it's about resources and russia ukraine is a good example yeah, russia wants stuff Right, the southern eastern industrial yeah. heartland of Ukraine and access to the Black Sea. Right. So the similarity bias has been with us for a long time. And we just want to recognize it and take advantage of it in sales. Yeah, sometimes it leads us down not a great path too. I know Agree. for myself, sometimes I'll review maybe I've had a lead call or something and I've met somebody new and I review the call in my head how I could have improved it, what I wasn't proud of in that call. Cause there's always, you know, some little thing it could be minor, super minor, but sure. what I would not want to repeat again. But most of the time it comes back to not recognizing that not listening per your first bias, not listening, giving that gift of listening hundred percent to be able to recognize what we do have in common. Well, a good example would be you and I have the same personality style. For us, it's hard to shut up and listen to the customer. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's really hard. Really hard. <laughs> All right. Want a couple more? Yeah, let's do two more. Okay. Next is called the anchor bias, like a ship with its anchor holding the ship steady. And this is one of the biases, by the way, that now we have some really good knowledge of it has actually changed how salespeople should behave and changed how sales trainers like us actually teach. Ooh, I've never heard of this one. Go ahead. Call the anchor bias. Okay. So the old brain creates these, remember the old brain wants to save energy. Right. The old brain creates these anchors when it receives information. So when a buyer receives information from one company, their old brain anchors on it. And then when they hear from other companies, do they want to think hard to change their mind or look for any reason to dismiss them? 
So essentially, what this really leads to is you want to be first. You want to be the first company to present. An example would be you and two other companies are really good. Good background, good experience, reasonable prices, great products. And you're vying for an opportunity with a buyer, group of buyers. And you have the inside coach from the Nora Hyman training. And she says, you know, I can influence whether your company presents first, second, or third. Just let me know which way you want to be. Now, many sales people and sales companies have been training always be third. So you can counter, you know, counter stuff that the other two might have said or that, that, that sort of thing. Whereas actually the real answer is you want to be first. And a good illustration of it is many of us have heard this advice. When chaos equals opportunity, be the first person to show up. We've all heard that. That's an example of the anchor bias. You want to get in there and get your company's anchor in the old, the buyer's old brand. I've had that happen before when I was competing for different projects. And I do, I, I remember I do win more when I'm first, because if you make a good enough impression, they compare everybody to you and they've actually started to already close the deal in their heads. Exactly. It would take something so spectacular from the final one and the first two to be so terrible for the third one to be the choice. Here's what actually happens. What? I'm sure you've heard the term unique selling proposition, where you can say our company is the only company or we're unique in that or we're top rated, those those types of statements. If all companies are pretty, pretty much equal and for whatever reason you have to go last, if you have a strong, unique selling proposition, you can trump the anchor bias. But if you don't have something that outstanding, no hope. Right. So, yeah, so it's, it's also another good example of not every one of these bias works every time in every situation. Right. Remember, they're just rules of thumb, um, shortcuts, tendencies. Let's take two more short ones that go together. Okay. First one is called the single option aversion bias. So multiple studies across all 33 B2B industries shows that if you offer the buyer one option, 10% will immediately take it. If you offer the buyer two similar options, 64% will pick one. Now, the reason only 10% when you offer one is their old brain doesn't have anything to compare it to. So imagine. That's a difference in closing rate of 640%. So the practical application, by, by the way, the name is a single option aversion bias, meaning buyers are adverse to buying when you only give them one option. So the practical application for salespeople is never only offer one option. Even if the customer only asks for one real specific thing, give them two versions. And the other bias that goes along with that is called the choice paradox bias. The choice part of it means many salespeople think, the untrained ones, if I can just show them all seven of our products or options, one's bound to fit. The paradox part of the choice paradox bias tells us if you offer the buyer more than three options, their old brain becomes confused. And will a confused brain make a decision? 
we know it, we know it won't. So based on the choice paradox bias, never offer more than three options. So now let's combine those two. Never offer only one, never offer more than three. Therefore, always offer two or three options. And your listeners may have heard, I'm sure, of the always offer good, better, best. So these two biases together provide the science behind the good, better, best offering. It reminds me of one of my favorite sales closes, and that's the alternative choice. Yeah, absolutely. And I've used that in parenting. Oh, my gosh. I've used that in parenting. I don't know how many times I've used it when people don't know what they want for dinner in the family. (laughs) I always offer two or three things that I don't care which one I like them all. So I win no matter what you pick. Exactly. And I do the same thing with, with clients. I love giving variations with just a little tweak that they might find interesting. Exactly. Just to give you one example, way back in my engineering days when I was running a defense contractor, then the government puts out bids and you must be 100% totally compliant with your answer or they throw it out. It doesn't matter whether you're IBM or who you are, they'll throw it out and it's not compliant. But it doesn't mean you can't offer an option. And so we would always offer an option the average win rate's one in four. We would win a third of the time they would pick our option because it was better technology or lower price or better process, whatever it was. And we are one of the very few defense contractors to offer that option. It's just a good example of giving them a couple of choices, even though they specifically offer, ask for one thing. <laughs> well, I'm going to make sure in the post to have these five options. And if people want to talk to you further about it or learn how to refine these skills and biases and explore them further with their sales teams, they know where to go. Ask your strategies. This is what you guys specialize in. Certainly one of the main things. And it's, and it's all virtual training now. So Makes all it good. easy. Yeah. I mean, that's how you pull in together your global teams or regional teams. Let's handle maybe one office at a time or get the country all at once, but yes. When you look at a, a sales training day for a large company, 50 salespeople in a hotel, they come from all around the country. Our training fee pales in insignificance to all those travel costs. And so now you don't have those. Right. You can invest in better training and more tailored training to their specific needs. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you because this information is huge. And maybe some people know it. Maybe some companies already go by this, but there are a lot, as you said, have these old habits of thinking, oh, we want to be last. Oh, you know, just old thinking. Yep. So it's it's time to bring the data into our sales training and to look at the evidence and do something about it. Yeah, we talked about six six of them, I think. Yes, we did. And there's another 20. That are part of I sales. think we need to do another episode and take another chunk. Happy to do it. All right. John Asher, thank you for being my guest today. Actually, my guest on your show on Asher Sales Sense. (laughs) Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. 
That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941.